Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Round one of the 2019 NFL Draft begins in three hours and 53 minutes. Quite a scene in downtown Nashville, the lower Broadway area, as they get set to host the NFL Draft in Music City, USA. Should be a fun night. Got a baseball night going on as well in the state of Mississippi as Ole Miss hosts Texas A&M. Game time has been pushed back tonight to 8 o'clock. It will be televised on the SEC Network. Good Thursday afternoon. Welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio in Jackson. Hey, Dad's in Starkville. Rippy's in Oxford. We're glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. That's the number. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. We have got a ton to get to with you this afternoon. Uh, hey, Dad and Rippy will make their bold predictions. So will Borky. I might or might not for the uh, draft tonight. Wait, wait. Why would you not? I'm not really into like make a bold prediction because I mean, bold come predictions. On. I mean, I'll, I'll do. I'll, I'll come up with something. Yeah, give us something. But you know how predictions work. If you're wrong, everybody remembers, and if you're right, nobody cares. Yeah, but if you don't give the predictions, you're boring. We got to get something. Zach Bingham from A to Z Sports in Nashville will join us live from Lower Broadway to talk in a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about what that scene looks like, and maybe uh, some Tennessee Titans. John Harris from the Houston Texans. Joe Moorhead, head football coach at Mississippi State. More from the trial that's going on in New York as more football teams were brought up today. We've got another transfer waiver that has been denied. The Warriors and the Clippers are going to Game 6 tomorrow night. Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball. That is a lot. What's up, boys? Hey, Dad, how are you today? Man, I'm doing great. Doing fantastic. You like draft day? I'm a big draft guy. I we were talking about it yesterday when when it was on Saturday. I made a, a little mini event out of that. I just I would sit there and watch the whole thing. I was just mesmerized by it, and uh, yeah. So I've never been a big fan of the whole way they breaking they've broken it up and made it more. I, I prefer the old way. It's because you imagine that I'm, I'm old fashioned, but yeah, I'm excited. So you you sat down and watched like ten hours of draft coverage yeah. on Saturday, and I would make a sandwich that was big enough to last the whole time. Wait, you would like eat a big sandwich early on so that you didn't get hungry, or you like nibbled on this one sandwich? This for one 10 sandwich hours? the whole time. Yeah, it was a monster. That's um... I don't know why I'm so fat. I don't. I don't. I don't I have no idea. <laughs> You're weird sometimes, hey Dad. We had a hey, guy. Man, named... Sometimes, sometimes that's a that's a that's a step up. We had a guy in the door one time when I was a freshman in college. We had a guy in a dorm after a football game come by our room and was like. Hey, you guys want a sandwich? Like, I was kind of hungry, and I was like, 
yeah, I do. And he like looks down the hallway. He's like, all right, bring it in. And these dudes bring this like four and a half foot long thing they had yes. at a tailgate, literally on a tray into my room, dropped it off. We're like, all right, see you. The whole thing. Yeah. Ended up going down like the fire chute or something maybe like that. But like, I was like, this was not what I was expecting. You didn't eat any of it? You can't really eat something like that. Like, no, I, I'm not exaggerating. It was literally four and a half feet long, probably like as wide as my arm. But you, you know, you, you, know how you eat you a sandwich that big. You ever heard of a knife? You know how you eat a sandwich that big? One bite at a time. I, how would you cut? Like, even just with a knife, you would, you would get a knife and you would cut it across, and then you would cut another piece. Of, you never had one of those six foot long sandwiches from Subway? Not that wide. Like not that wide. Starving wide children in China, it? you're throwing away I, a four I, I, and a half foot sandwich. Literally, the width of probably my my into my thumb to my elbow. Oh, like it was it was. I do, I don't know if I was being punked. I don't you know what was twice. going on. It was it was strange. You, you cut it twice. I think Haydad would have tried to eat it. I would have given her the go. I promise. I wanted to like I was trying to like lay down next to it and see which one was like longer, or taller. <laughs> and the answer is. I edged the sandwich by a few inches. And and then you took the sandwich and just ran it down the fire chute. It was a bunch of guys in a dorm at 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't know exactly what happened to the sandwich, but like you could probably use your imagination. It wasn't eaten. I'll give it that much. It's pretty disgusting when you think about what goes down the fire chutes in dorms. We've done the whole dorm the, the thing trash on the chute. air before, right? Like We had people sending in all kinds of stuff. Do you remember this? Oh, shenanigans <laughs> yeah. in dorms? That, that was actually probably one of my favorite things we've done. We got some great texts. I must have missed that day. I don't. You don't remember that. this? Was that was that when I told you about the laundry cart that split the door? Yeah, and then we had a kid mm-hmm. when I was in high school. I was staying in, like with a friend up there, and like remember it was like the skin deer in the bathtub. I don't remember that. I think you must have done that on another radio show. No, we no, were all was here. This one. I remember this vividly. Somebody went, at one point threw a um, a gutted deer in the back of my truck in the parking lot of Stockard. My freshman year at Ole Miss. Then we started talking about move-out week where kids just bomb stuff out of the windows. Yeah. 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 I missed that day. I must have not. I don't know where I was. I don't know. Glad to have you along this afternoon. You can uh, be part of the conversation, as I told you, on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. A couple of baseball items. I mentioned a, uh, a few moments ago, um... First pitch for Ole Miss, Texas A&M, because of uh, potential bad weather, weather earlier today, what's expected to come in this afternoon as well, has been pushed back to 8 o'clock. So um, if you're planning on being at the ballpark at 6, you will be early. I uh, might want to hang out for a little while. Are you still going to go at 6? Just um, catching a, a couple extra hours at the ball yard? Well, I'll probably do the draft from there. It would make the most sense. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so, Yeah. A lot of hours at the old ball yard this evening. Uh, Pretty big news regarding Mississippi State and Georgia. Perhaps, not trying to slight anybody, just there are some that would argue the best pitcher in the SEC this year is or has been Emerson Hancock from Georgia. He's dealing with some arm soreness, and from a precautionary standpoint, Georgia is not pitching Emerson Hancock this weekend. Hey, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. It is. 
it's not from a statistical standpoint because when I looked at the two guys, they are they're bringing and their their whole pitching staff. I mean, they're only giving up their their teams are batting 182 against them. It's not like they've got a, you know a couple of shlomos on there or anything. But Hancock, like you said, is probably the best pitcher in the SEC, probably a top 10 draft choice when when that comes around this summer. And for him to miss that game, yeah, that that's an opportunity for State on Friday night to maybe have have a chance to to get that se- that series opening win. So you'll have Georgia's C.J. Smith, a sophomore lefty, going against uh, Mississippi State's Ethan Small in Game 1. Game 2 for Georgia, Tony Losey. He's 7-0 on the year with a 2.04 ERA against uh, J.T. Ginn, the freshman right-hander from Mississippi State, who is 7-2 on the year. Uh, Game 3 is TBA for both teams. Pitching rotation for Texas A&M and Ole Miss, John Doxakis, a junior lefty, uh, for A and M, five and two with a sub two ERA is going against Will Etheridge tonight. Etheridge is five and three with an ERA of two and a half. Tomorrow, game two, sophomore left-hander Asa Lacy will pitch for Georgia. He is six and two with a sub two ERA. He will face off against freshman left-hander Doug McKenzie for Ole Miss. Four and three, his ERA is three seventy-seven. Neither A and M nor Ole Miss has announced their game three starting pitcher. So uh, that's what you're going to see in Starkville and in Oxford this weekend. As far as pitching goes, the Ole Miss series gets started tonight, uh, eight o'clock on the SEC Network. Mississippi State series begins tomorrow night. Borky, what's your setup to watch the draft tonight? Uh, well, I've even though it's only going to last for another week or so. Uh, I've got my, my two TVs set up in the office. I'll have baseball on the smaller screen and then the draft on the big screen with a, a beer or two on my recliner and sit back and just take it all in. I'm a big draft guy, too, like, hey, Dad, I love it. I don't know why, because you can just exactly sit, you can flip on explain it. social media and, and read where the – before the picks even are announced, you can read it on Twitter if you follow the right people anyway. But I sit yeah. back and I love it. it. It's just something about these guys that – since we're big college football people, we watched play in college, have the best night of their life so far. It's really cool. It's kind of the, the few pure things in sports. We get to see that moment, and I, I just eat, eat it up. I love it. If you watch ESPN or you watch the NFL Network, or I guess ABC's got it tonight uh, as well, they are not going to tip picks. Once again, ESPN, ABC, NFL Network have agreed not to tip picks to try and uh, maintain some level of suspense for the uh, for the broadcast. I think Sports Illustrated um, does like an online coverage thing, and they will tip picks. I mean, the second that they get the information, they're putting it out there. As it stands going into round one, uh, and this is, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with trades. Arizona's got the number one pick, San Francisco number two, the Jets number three, the Raiders four, the Bucks five, New York Giants pick at six, Jaguars at seven, Detroit is at eight, Buffalo at nine, and the Denver Broncos at number ten. Um, I, I, I guess I would not label myself as as Borky, you or Haydad did as a draft guy, but I sure do like the stories that come out after it's all over. And sometimes it's a year later, sometimes it's a decade later, when they go back and they kind of recreate all that happened with regard to the movement 
and the decisions that were made and how they arrived at decisions and how close things were to happening that may or may not have happened. We'll talk to a guy who knows all about it, John Harris from the Houston Texans, next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. The Arizona Cardinals are officially on the clock. The draft begins in three hours and 39 minutes. It's happening in Music City, Nashville, the host, and pretty cool scene in downtown Nashville as we get set for the draft. We're going to talk a little bit about the draft now with our buddy John Harris from the Houston Texans. HoustonTexans.com works with uh, Houston Texans TV is a, uh, a radio show host, uh, a, a scouting background, a coaching background. He has got it covered and has seen this event from uh, from a lot of different angles. John, I'm uh, I'm curious what your setup is for tonight. Are you in Houston, or did you make the trip to Nashville? I am actually standing inside Energy Stadium right now, okay. uh, where you and I talked down on the sideline. Of course, there's no field down, but uh, you know they just got through the rodeo. Uh, about a month and a half ago, and so it took them a while to get the rodeo out of here, but it's just a, kind of a blank slate right now, so I'm just kind of looking around. I guess it's getting me inspired, but it's actually the, only, it's the quietest place in the building right now, to be honest with you, because we're getting set up for our draft party, so uh, I had to come down here and, I don't know, get inspired for tonight, but our draft party will be here at Energy Stadium, so uh, I always stay here to do radio. I do like 16 or 17 hours of radio over three days talking about all the draft picks. And I talk about it from every team and every college uh, that I have uh, knowledge of, which um, I'd like to think I have a lot of knowledge of, of college players that are coming to the NFL and then know the NFL teams as well. So come at it from two angles instead of just knowing the players. you got to know the NFL teams as well, what their needs are. And I get a chance to see a bunch of them up close and personal, so it always helps out. John, I know for months now we've talked about the guys from Mississippi. There is a a chance that that five players combined from Mississippi State and Ole Miss go in the first round tonight. May not happen that way. Might be three. Might be four. Could be five. I thought the news today was really really interesting that came out about Montez Sweat. It was like there was a great big oops. Maybe we didn't actually diagnose the heart condition correctly. Maybe there's actually not an issue. How big a deal is that for Montez Sweat on the day of the draft for that information to come out? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because Montez's agent is a good friend of mine that I grew up with. He's a year older than me. We played high school ball together. Um, He went and played basketball in college, and his brother uh, was Michael Lewis. I remember Michael Lewis. He played with the Eagles. He played at the University of Colorado. Um, His other brother is Jaquiz Rogers, who played running back at Oregon State. And also yeah. play, has played in the league, and he's looking for a team right now. And so, uh, my buddy has been Sweat's agent. So, I've anytime I've seen something nationally out there and in national media, I call I call him and go, "Dude, give me the real, give me the real deal on this." And he gives me the real, he gives me the real story. And he's been telling me for about a week that it was actually our doctors here in Houston that said, "Look, we think they misdiagnosed this whole thing." And wow. we've got as good a medical center as you could possibly have in the entire country. Now, there are going to be some teams that just didn't want to do their legwork and didn't want to dive in and just thought, yeah, Sweat's not going to work for us, and he's off our board. That just makes it easy for us. But I think for teams that have left Montez Sweat on the board like they should have, 
and done their due diligence, they realize, look, we can get a top 10 pass rusher maybe down in the 20s. I mean, look, Richard, I, he, he came here. He visited here uh, with the Houston Tech. That's obviously where he did his, his, uh, his medical testing. And I was in the staff locker room. I was just going by to go to the bathroom. I look up, and I'm like, that's Montez Sweat in our staff locker room because he was looking for the cafeteria. And so, I look, at 23, I don't think the Texans would do it. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it because this whole thing for the Texans can blow up in a quick minute because of Clowney and who knows what's going to happen there. Whitney Merciless in the last year's contract, we can go from having three really good pass rushers to having one in a short amount of time. So you've got to be ready for that. And I think a team to really keep an eye on is Seattle. Seattle seems to make a lot of sense. They need an edge rusher. They need a player like Sweat. I wouldn't think he would get beyond 21 to Seattle. But I think this news is, is great news for Montez. This is one of those things where his agent's been telling me this for about a week, you know, kind of giving me the whole situation. So it's one of those I've kind of been in front of from the beginning, and it's been kind of fun to watch unfold everybody kind of two or three days behind. But I think Sweat is going to end up getting a lot of look. I think Tennessee would end up making some sense. Uh, I think at 19, where Tennessee is, Seattle makes a ton of sense at 21. I don't think he gets beyond 21 to Seattle, though. I think that's about where his fall, if you will, would, would stop. And, John, this is Brian Haydad. I saw a couple of mocks today that had Jeff Simmons actually going ahead of sweat. Now, this was before the news broke about the, about the medical condition. Is there a scenario where Jeff Simmons could be taken ahead of Montez Sweat? How, what's, what's the ceiling for him on, as far as getting picked high? Well, I think for – I think for Jeffrey, I mean, look, we've talked about this for a while. I mean, it, you know, the the incident that happened before he got to Mississippi State, you know, how you feel about that, how teams feel about that, kind of, I don't want to say overshadowed, but because the ACL, it was almost like, okay, he's out of sight, out of mind, to a degree. But when I did my mock draft, I put him at number 13 as the Dolphins. And the reason I did that was the Dolphins, look, let's be, let's be honest about this. The Dolphins are not looking to win in 2019. Yes, they, if they win, it's great. But they're not looking to do that. What they're looking to do is establish what Chris Greer and Brian Flores want in a Miami Dolphin. And they want, they want players that are very similar to ones that would be with the New England Patriots. So if they take a shot on Jeffrey Simmons, and he's not really able to, to beat Jeffrey Simmons until 2020, that's a team that it wouldn't bother because they don't mind tanking because if they don't get – if, if they have a tough season, then, oh, by the way, look, Tua Tungavailoa and Jake Fromm uh, and uh, Justin Herbert from Oregon are all sitting at the top of the draft. We can get our quarterback next year if we need to. But you know what? I don't know that we're going to find a defensive lineman, a top-five defensive lineman like this next year. The Cowboys did it with Jalen Smith. Now, they did it in the second round, but they did it with Jalen Smith, and it's worked out swimmingly. I really wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if a team says, look, Let's take Simmons because you can't find this kind of interior athlete. And I think they'll probably – I would take Sweat just knowing that I'm going to get Sweat in 2019. Simmons, I know I'm going to have to sort of red shirt, and then we'll see where it comes along. So, to me, I would take Sweat before I would take Simmons. But if I got one of those picks late in the round, absolutely. I'm a playoff team, and I can wait on Jeffrey Simmons. Heck, yeah, I'm doing it. And here's the thing. If he's sitting there at 32 and the New England Patriots get Jeffrey Simmons, I'm going to puke right on our draft party stage. It'll drive me insane to see that happen, <laughs> and I hope it doesn't. 
John Harris on your radio, Jay Harris Football on Twitter. If you want to follow him there, the two wide receivers from Ole Miss, DK Metcalf, who's gotten so much pre-draft buzz, it feels like it's been quieter around A.J. Brown. Do one or both of those guys go in the first round tonight? I actually, in my mock, my mock draft, I had the Patriots at number 32 taking D.K. Metcalf. I think what the Patriots found with Josh Gordon, I think was very exciting for Tom Brady. Now, the Patriots do not have a great track record in drafting wide receivers. And obviously we've talked and a lot of people have talked about what D.K. doesn't do. Here's the thing, and I've thought about this a lot, and this is something I think people have to keep in mind. Just because you haven't seen a guy do it doesn't mean he can't do it. It just means that he wasn't asked to do it. And I think, I think Greg Little is a great example of that, Richard, because there were things in that offense that he was not asked to do. Run yeah. game, that, you know, different types of runs that they didn't have at Ole Miss because of that offense they ran. It's not, it wasn't a bad offense, obviously. It's just, it was limited in the things that it did. And I think there are teams looking at Greg Little going, yeah, how do we project this guy? And I think it's sort of the same way with DK Metcalf. You keep in mind, how much, how much football did he play? He played, what, a, a year and a half? I mean, he's still got a lot of growing to do as a football player. But look, his dad played in the NFL. He's going to know how to be a professional. He's going to work at the game. And when you have an athlete of that caliber that's going to work at the game, then you're going to end up getting a good football player. I think DK should go in the first round. And I think AJ is going to end up at the top of the second. And I, I do think AJ is going to be a fabulous receiver. And I'll tell you this quick story. I got a text from a buddy of mine who had been talking to a general manager, and the general manager said something about meeting up. He couldn't wait to meet up with that fat bleep AJ Brown at the combine. And he sent me that text, and I said, and I sent him the picture of DK and AJ Brown, and the GM sent back a YouTube video, and it was the Jefferson theme song. And it was just moving on up. So I know that there are a couple of GMs that are drafting in the top five of the second round that would love, love to have A.J. Brown, for sure. John, 30 seconds left. Do the Cardinals take Kyler Murray number one? Is Josh Rosen a Cardinal when tonight is over? I think Kyler Murray is taking number one. But I think that teams will let the draft play out in the one team. There will be one, maybe two teams that don't get the quarterback that they want, they'll be the ones. Because the Giants, they thought Giants take Daniel Jones and say Washington gets Haskins. Okay, well, Cincinnati needs a quarterback. And I don't know, maybe there's another team that needs a quarterback as well. I'm not thinking about maybe even Oakland. And they can get Josh Rosen on the cheap, if you will. I think it's maybe Friday, maybe Saturday before Rosen gets moved. But I think that's hmm. eventually how it's going to go. Murray to Arizona, then Rosen to the team that doesn't get a quarterback over the next couple of days. John, great stuff. Know you're busy. Thanks for your time today, my man. You got it, guys. Take care. So basically, John Harris doesn't want the Patriots to get any more good players. Hey, Dad, is that what you took away from our conversation? You know, he he was sort of subtle about it, but I, I, I got that impression. That's not the first time that he has said to us, I'm going to be sick if the Patriots get Jeffrey Simmons with the last pick of the first round. I would bet just about anything that I have that if Simmons is there at 32 and the Patriots still have that pick, that's where they'll go. I would bet almost yeah. anything. Yeah. 
It'll be interesting. And he said in his mock draft that uh, he had DK Metcalf going to the Patriots at 32. Yeah, they do need some outside help, especially now with Brady's go-to Gronkowski hanging it up. Who knows how long that'll actually last, but they're missing pieces, and there's only so often you can build a team with a bunch of no-names at wide receiver before it finally catches up to you. And now that the best tight end in the league, maybe if he would have actually stayed for his entire career and not been hurt, one of the best tight ends to ever live is retired, you got to get something. Yeah, but don't you think he's a Hall of Famer regardless? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Good enough and short enough period of time? Mm-hmm. I tend to. I, tend I mean, to he was the target on, on multiple Super Bowl teams. Yeah. The only guy. Um. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. We'll, we'll see there where uh, where that goes. Uh, as I told you, the ceasefire text line is open six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Borky, I'm on a uh, uh, a rent a computer, if you will, and and can't right now get the text line up. So if there's anything we need to uh, jump in with that, uh, from feel free to uh, stop me and and pour it in there. Fair enough? Yeah. It's a temporary fix to a much better solution, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like my old computer that I tried to open up a Word document that you sent. No dice. <laughs> Won't even open it. Oh, so, I, wor- get- <laughs> so I worked you- all day long, and you can't no, even no, open it. <laughs> no, I, I have it on my la- uh, my, my iPad here oh, on, the, uh, on the second screen. How ironic no, I've, is I've got that? it right here. Um, I had to call for some backup. That computer's making some weird noises. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a loud, thick old Mac. I, I actually did the about this computer just uh, mid two thousand eleven. I mean, that is a dinosaur in computer years, isn't it? Is that eight years? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Does it have Microsoft Word? No. That's why I couldn't <laughs> open your Word document. At one point it did, but I think I completely wiped this computer clean somewhere along the way and then didn't reinstall everything. And uh, I actually tried to download in the App Store earlier, like, pages for Apple because it'll open a Word document. I don't don't have an operating system that will support pages from Apple in this one. It's amazing how much technology has changed. I saw a video this morning of Aaron Rodgers the night he got drafted, and he answers a flip phone. And not like a new age, like a Motorola Razor, like your typical flip phone. And his buddy next to him is recording the entire thing on a handheld camcorder. When's the last time you saw somebody using a video camera? Outside of a media person? Um, Yeah, like like a camcorder. I honestly could not even tell you when the last time I've seen that is. I mean, when I was if I a saw child, somebody doing it, I would record them doing it on my phone, so we could have the, like, look at this guy. What's this dinosaur this doing? Yeah. Um, did your family have a camcorder growing up, working with VHS tapes? Uh, if so, I don't remember and haven't seen any of them. We had an RCA camcorder. It was one of those, you know, that you, you like slid your hand up through the palm and it had the little Velcro strap that held in. You could zoom in and out and you hit the red button to record and, you know, it just like mounted or not mounted, but sat on your shoulder. We didn't use it a ton. You know, we did some home videos and occasionally would pull out the tripod for it. But I had some friends, parents who every single sporting event ever, they recorded all of them. The, their library of VHS tapes I, I bet it's. I bet it's. It might be in the thousands. And, and I'm not talking about of movies that they went out and bought. I've, I've got buddies that collected movies, and 
you know, they might have several hundred movies. I'm talking about home movies. Probably not in the thousands, but certainly well beyond 500. It's crazy. I've started thinking about that lately because of my circumstance in life. You, you have the two parents, right? The the one that wants to take everything in, their phone's not out, nothing. They just, if, if they're at a dance recital or whatever, they watch the entire thing. You have the other one that records the entire thing. Which one are you? Uh, I'm a little bit of a mix. I'm more of a take it in guy until Jane goes, Hey, take pictures or Hey, go video this. Um, I will say my father-in-law has got a really nice camera. Well, he's got a nice camera, but he's got a really nice lens for it. Like one of those foot long zoom lenses that, you know, whatever. Uh, and so sometimes that gets handed off to me and I'll go stand in the back of the room and, you know, grab some pictures, but no, I'm not, I'm generally more of the, just kind of take it in and somebody else can video it type. Not that there's anything wrong with one way or the other. No. Um, so, so baseball tonight. We mentioned that earlier. Uh, Rippy Will Etheridge five and three, ERA two and a half, forty three strikeouts, nineteen walks against John Doxakis. The the narrative surrounding Ole Miss baseball. By the way, Doxakis a lefty for Texas A and M, sub two ERA, seventy one strikeouts and nine walks. You you immediately look at that and you go hmm. It's not, a, it's not a great matchup for Ole Miss. If you look a little closer, Ole Miss actually swung the bat better against left-handed pitchers last weekend against Auburn than they had in, I don't know, months, maybe the entire year. Is there anything to that? I would say generally no, because Auburn threw a midweek guy because he had a left-hand dominant like set of hands. Um, because he signed his name with his left hand. Yes, so and they they Ole Miss to their credit got him out of the game early. So I mean a little I guess, but I don't know. I mean you're talking about a A and M's going back to back dominant lefties. Yes, with the flexibility to throw a third if they want to on on Saturday. I guess it would be in this case suboptimal. Well, I will have to see the result first, but like it doesn't look great. What would you anticipate Ole Miss does lineup-wise? I, I don't think we've seen a, a batting order or a lineup at this point from, from Mike Bianco. Are you going Chase Cockrell in right field because he's a right-handed bat? You, you can't do that anymore, can you? Well, you can because Knox LaPoster has been DHing a lot against right-handed, or excuse me, left-handed pitching. And so... I mean, they've they've kind of ridden with the fact that okay, we're going to give up you know defensive prowess in the outfields, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. Hey, I mean, you got to you got to play nine guys. What are you doing instead? Somebody that will give you at least equal production at the plate, because quite frankly, it it probably doesn't get a whole lot worse, and will actually provide something in right. I don't think that exists though. Would you go with... You don't, though? I mean, the only other thing you're doing is putting Servideo out there who's had you know, a lot of struggles against left-handed pitching in his own right. But that that's my point, is if, if what you're getting at the plate, if there's really no difference, then why wouldn't you put the better outfielder out there to at least give you something from that ninth person you have to put on the field? Hey, what about going Josh Hall? I just let him bunt all weekend. 
That's definitely, well, I don't know about letting him bunt all weekend, but that's definitely possible. I'm not talking about sacrifice bunt. I'm talking about a guy that, you know, you're trying to get him to bunt it past the mound or push it third base side and then let his speed beat it out to try and get you base runners. Not that you can do that every at-bat. I understand that. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly an option, too. But, I mean, you're talking about one versus, I mean, that's about the only two things they can go with. Yeah. Or you go Servideo and right which is a left-handed bat still in the lineup, and put Jacob Adams at second. Yeah, but they haven't had very much success with that combination. No, I understand. I mean, I I get what you're saying. I I think Borky's point is, do you at least get the good defense out of it if you don't feel like you're going to get hits out of that spot in the lineup regardless? Mike hasn't shown he's given up on Cockrell, though, at all. That's well, a true I, statement. We're not asking Mike. We're asking you. What would I do? Yeah. Draw the what, what, card tonight. What would it look like? Yeah, what do you think should be done? I would need a second to draw, like, one through nine. No, this this particular position, this particular situation. You go Dillard in left, Olenek in center, and... Well, no. If I was playing Servideo, I'd put Servideo in center, but that's really a conversation for another date. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so it looks altogether different if you're drawing up the uh, the lineup card. Yeah, Overcomplicating this a little bit for us. I don't know. I'd, do, do you think Cockrell's the, the the right fielder tonight? I think it's more likely him or Hall, other than Servidia. I could be wrong, though, but they've had so many moving parts. Like, saying which one's more likely than the other is probably a pretty futile exercise. Yeah. So Will Etheridge against Noxakis uh, tonight for Texas A&M. And really, Ole Miss needs the Will Etheridge of a couple of weeks ago uh, against Kentucky to be on the mound as opposed to the one that pitched last week against Auburn where he just kind of lost it a little bit in the, uh, I guess it was the fifth or the sixth inning. Yeah, struggle with some walks, but I mean, that's kind of, I mean, if you look at the sample size the whole year, that's kind of a, an anomaly as a kind of compared to the norm. So yeah, I mean, they certainly need him to be better, but I think they expect him to be. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. We've got more coming up. What else? Can't decide 100% how I feel about the college game day crew on NFL draft coverage. I can tell you the pictures from downtown Nashville, from lower Broadway, where they've got the stage set up for the NFL draft. It is unbelievable how many people are packed in to watch that tonight. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every single day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team and talk to our buddy Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball. E, what's up, my man? Well, I'm good, Rich. I, I know I couldn't be on last week because of all the storms that came through, and then your producer just told me that you guys had more storms this morning, I guess part of that system that went through Louisiana Tech's uh, baseball program. So sorry to hear it, man. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it's kind of spring in Mississippi, and it's trying to warm up. But you get those cold fronts that are fighting through. You, you know how it works yeah. in the south. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Rustin really got hit hard. Uh, Ruston, Louisiana, baseball stadium, softball stadium, yeah. soccer stadium, all significant damage. And uh, our thoughts and uh, and well wishes go to the uh, the folks there at Louisiana Tech. Absolutely. Um, yep. ju- just four weeks remaining, 
in the uh, the regular season. Then we get to conference tournaments and roll into regional play. And I mean, this is no different than when we talked two weeks ago, uh, Eric. The SEC West is an absolute logjam. Is anybody separating themselves in your mind? Well, I I started thinking that I started looking kind of at Arkansas and thinking that maybe they were starting to come around. Um, again, I mean, I saw them once this year or twice actually. They split two games at USC. USC won in a walk off from the last game of their series, but this is still a team that you were kind of waiting to come around and have uh, have you know you know be back like they were last year, even though they've suffered some losses. But I thought last week's sweep to miss against Mississippi State. Granted, it was at home, and and uh, but they they put up some runs against the Bulldogs, and sweeping those guys that was a pretty impressive thing. I started thinking maybe they might be, um, but again, this is kind of just week to week in the SEC. I mean, you look before that they'd lost two or three to Vanderbilt, but let's see what happens. I'm kind of interested to see what happens with them in Tennessee. Uh, you know, those two uh, good pitching staff, Tennessee, the best pitching staff ERA wise actually in the in the conference. So. Let's see what happens when they play them this weekend. But I'm kind of thinking Arkansas might be getting the drop in the SEC uh, coming up now. And LSU nipping at Arkansas's heels and a little bit different. I mean, yes, LSU's got to go on the road, but they go on the road to Tuscaloosa this weekend to face a, a yeah. pretty average to below average Alabama team in comparison yeah. to Arkansas hosting a Tennessee team. It's been pretty impressive. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I was at I was at that LSU Florida series last weekend, and uh, and after that first game, you know, you kind of started thinking, oh boy, LSU lost sixteen to nine to Florida, and it really wasn't that close. They were up thirteen. I think Florida was up thirteen to nothing at one point, right? A couple of touchdowns, and uh, and I started thinking, you know, because I saw LSU against Texas early in the season, they got blown out twice and then walked off in the last game, and I started thinking, oh boy, this is not a good sign for LSU. But then Cole Henry comes in, the freshman kid, uh, who's going to be one of the great ones at LSU, apparently, according to Paul Maneri. And he came in and just shut Florida down. Now, granted, we're talking about Alabama. We're talking about Florida. These are teams that's not, they're not, uh, you know, they're not your father's Florida and Alabama team, especially not Florida. I don't think they're as great a team as we've seen, obviously, the last few years. But here's the thing, Rich, that I was looking for with LSU this weekend. They're going to go to Alabama and and they haven't been a great road team. The only thing I can really point out is they've won two, they won two or three against Mississippi State. I'm still kind of wondering how they did that with all their, with all their pitching woes that they've had, uh, injuries mm-hmm. and whatnot. But let's see how they do against Alabama. I'm kind of interested to see what that will turn out to be. Um, Alabama, numbers-wise, has a better pitching staff than LSU's, but I think LSU's is starting to come around, heal up some injuries, and, and we'll see what kind of press they get. Uh, push they get down the stretch, but yeah, that'll be an interesting series. I'm looking to see what happens on, on uh, for LSU on the road. All right, you, you mentioned injuries, and that's something that we're dealing with, especially with pitchers. And we're seeing coaches more willing to give guys a weekend off if they show any kinds of soreness. We saw it with JT again a couple of weeks ago for Mississippi State. Cole that's Henry right, yeah. apparently now dealing with some shoulder soreness, not going to pitch this weekend for LSU. Emerson Hancock not going to pitch this weekend for Georgia. Is there anything to this, or is this just coaches being more aware and knowing that there's a bigger microscope on them? Yeah, no, that's a good point, actually. That that uh, the bigger microscope. That's an interesting point. I think you've got to. I think that's something that that's probably going going to be a little bit more prominent nowadays. Um, but sure, I, yeah, I think obviously these coaches are also looking at the postseason, knowing this isn't the be all and end all. If they yeah. miss a weekend in SEC play, they'll just have to make you know they'll just have to power through without them. 
I had not heard about the Cole Henry thing up until now, so thanks for letting me know. But, yeah, that's a pretty big one because of all the pitchers that LSU has used this year, he's kind of been the most consistent and the, and the best so far. But, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point, though. I think these coaches are all kind of looking out and they're thinking ahead to, uh, yeah, to, to June when everything really matters. Two big series here in the state of Mississippi uh, this weekend. Mississippi State hosts Georgia Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Ole Miss-Texas A&M series begins tonight, and they push that back to 8 o'clock because of weather uh, here in, in North Mississippi. Let's start quickly, though, in Starkville. Um, yeah. Emerson Hancock not being part of the rotation certainly changes things or could change things a little bit for Georgia. This feels like a big weekend for Mississippi State. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, after that weekend loss to Arkansas, yeah, you know how people are. They they get a little impatient. They start freaking out over the smallest things. And yeah, you're just going to have kind of stinker weekends from time to time. And I think that's. And I'm hoping actually for your guys, for your listeners' sake, that that's what happens with the Bulldogs. That 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 was just kind of an aberration. And Arkansas is good, but you know it's that that series with Georgia with Hancock not pitching. It's still pretty is is is, is interesting, but. Georgia still has the second-best pitching staff in the SEC, and, and it's going to go up against Mississippi State's bats, the best in the SEC. What a great what a great matchup that'll be. And, and of course, playing at home is certainly going to help them a little bit, um, and, and that's why I think well, now that you actually throw in the fact that uh, Hancock's not pitching, it's going to put a little bit more pressure on Tony Losey and Tim Elliott, their two other, big, the, the two other starters. So I, I think this is going to be an, an advantage Mississippi State. I think they're going to get back on track this weekend. Um, and and this, this is going to be a perfect time to maybe start, of, start to jumpstart the remainder of their, of their season. Ole Miss sitting there at 10-8. and eight. They're in that three-way tie for fourth along with Mississippi State and Auburn. Texas A&M 11-6-1, so just half a game back of Arkansas. Big win in Oxford this weekend, and obviously the one-two punch of uh, of John Doxakis and and uh, Asa Lacey. Goodness gracious, a couple of guys coming at you from the left side, both of them good velocity, good breaking balls. That's a, that's a tough one-two punch to deal with. Yeah, in fact, I was just looking at their stats. Their opponents off of Lacey, they're hitting 158, and off of Doxakis, that's uh, two tw- or 226, yeah, which is, isn't much better. Yikes. Yeah, Ole Miss really has their has their uh, work cut out for them. I do like Ole Miss's lineup. I know they're not hitting over 300. They're not at the top of the SEC necessarily, but they just got. They, we've talked about the Rebels before. So much experience with some guys that have been around, like Kessinger and Olenek. They've been around for a number of years, so I do like that. And I and I think this is and, and again this yeah you're right. This is going to be this is part of that five team or six team log jam, whatever the, the case may be, at the top of the SEC West. You have to. You have to. One thing they always say in the SEC: you have to hold court at home, and I think this is a good example of that. And Ole Miss kind of coming off a tough weekend, lost two of three to Auburn. The last game, I think, yeah, it was went extra innings. So that's kind of a that's kind of a tough weekend to come off of, and the weekend before that, obviously losing two or three to Kentucky. So this is going to be a, t- a key weekend for the Rebels if they can hold off Texas A and M. You know, they've they've still got it's still going to be tough down the stretch. LSU, Mississippi State, and Tennessee still left to play. So hold court at home. I think the Rebels got to be able to do that. They got to be able to uh, to power through and uh, through these these uh, tough pitches that they're going to face with A and M this weekend. And, and the kind of the crazy thing about A and M, you look at their team ERA two ninety four. Both of those starters that we talked about sub two ERA. You mentioned the batting averages, but Texas A and M is not hitting it. They're hitting two sixty one. And as difficult as the yeah. schedule looks for Ole Miss over the final four weeks to 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 have A and M 
LSU, Mississippi State, and and Tennessee, none of those four teams outside of Mississippi State. Now, Mississippi State top-hitting team in the SEC at 314. The yeah. other three all hit 262 or less. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's See, that's one thing that's that's I guess you can that's one positive to point at. I mean, it's it's tough to find it's tough to find a lot of positives when you're playing against teams in the SEC this year just because they've been so strong uh up and I mean from top to bottom this year, but yeah, you see uh, Braden Shoemate, the the best hitter on A&M's team. He's an All-American, returning All-American this year, only hitting 318. For him, that's and only four home runs. For him, that's really low. And you kind of figured that that he would do better than that, but yeah, A and M sticks are not that strong, and I think this is a weekend that Ole Miss can take advantage of that if they get the chance um, to to pull off a couple of wins. Eric, the craziest number in the SEC, and we're out of time. Would would, would you have believed if I, if we rewound five years that I told you forty one games into the season, South Carolina would have a team batting average of two thirty nine? Yeah, I, not on Ray Tanner's watch. I know. I figured somebody had gotten fired over that one. You're right. Two, was it? Yeah, 239 last in the SEC. But they still lead the conference. 62 home runs. I was just noticing that. So, that's right. You know, Chicks dig the long ball. Bad, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> thanks, Eric. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, Rich, thanks for sharing the airways, man. Always good talking with you. Good you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky in the studio right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. We are joined by the head football coach at Mississippi State, Joe Moorhead. And, Coach, I really appreciate you working with us on this. Things got a little crazy last week with uh, with those bad storms that came through. Uh, good to visit with you. Spring in the rearview mirror, and obviously this is a, a big night for your program uh, with the uh, with the NFL draft, how are you? Great. I was hauled up underneath the stairwell when them storms come through last time, so that that was a, a welcome to the south moment right there. But aside from that, I'm doing great. How did spring practice go? How did you feel uh, about those uh, three and a half, four weeks of practice, kind of kind of going through and obviously looking to to fill the quarterback spot? I think we we, we took a lot of positive steps. Uh, certainly graduated, as we'll see tonight, a lot of personality and production from the team. Uh, you know, particularly on the interior of our defensive line and, and the D line as a whole, and you know, losing Nick and some of the other guys. But uh, I think uh, I think you know, we took advantage of all fifteen opportunities. Uh, we'll circle back to, to spring in a minute, if it's okay. I, I'd love to talk to you though a little bit about the draft, and and you know, there there are more players that that may end up drafted or end up signing deals as as undrafted free agents. But but the three that everybody are talking about are Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat and and Jonathan Abram. Uh, let's walk through those and and kind of as a guy who's been around a bunch of pro football players when when they were at the college level, uh, what what is a trait or two with each of those three guys that you think is going to make them good professional players? Uh, for Montez, I'd say his length and his athleticism. Uh, for Jeffrey, I'd say his demeanor, his character, his leadership, and his physicality, and uh, Jonathan's love of the game and, and his willingness to compete. Uh, you know, th- those are three guys that are unique in their own way, but did a heck of a job for Mississippi State, and they're going to be awesome players at the next level. 
in, interesting to me on Jonathan Abram. I, I don't know how much time you've spent looking at mock drafts or have had people talk to you about those, but he's been all over the place. There are people that have projected him to be in the middle of the first round. Uh, there are people that have projected him to be late first round, middle second round. Uh, do you get any indication uh, or have you heard anybody say where you, you think maybe legitimately he ends up? Yeah, a lot of misinformation flying around the last few days heading into the draft, so you're never really sure what the you know the accurate projection is. But uh, you know, like you said, anywhere from tail end of the first round to you know, early in the second round, you know, I certainly think he's a first round talent. But uh, you know, um, you know, it, it, a lot of it, like I said, based on need and for for teams positionally. But you know, I, I think certainly from a talent standpoint, he, he's up there. Coach, it's Brian Haydad. I asked you during the season if you had seen what the Saints were doing with Taysom Hill and could Nick Fitzgerald fill that role. You said at the time you hadn't seen, but I'm going to make the assumption in the offseason you've taken a look. You know, what are, what are, when you talk to NFL people about Nick, what are they asking you, and is that a role you think he could fill at the next level? I think he can, and I think one of the strengths of Nick's um, you know, skill set moving forward is his versatility and his athletic ability. You know, and, and, uh, you know, as a quarterback, I think another year with a team that can uh, work on his development as a passer would benefit him, and I think he has a skill set to succeed as a quarterback at the next level. But I also think he can play down to that that slash or that dual role. You know, partly quarterback, you know, tight end, wide receiver. You know, some of the stuff we, you know, some of the stuff they're doing with with the Saints, and uh, you know, and or I think he can you know be a, a skill position player you know outside of quarterback. So to me. And that's great for Nick because, you know, in a 53-man roster, a guy who could do a bunch of different things, that, that gives you a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of options. Coach, you'll forgive me if this is a dumb question. How much does a night like tonight or, or the next two days mean for your program when you've got multiple guys that are going first, second, third round NFL draft? You know, to be honest, I, I think, you know, first and foremost, this is a day about the young men. It's about their families. It's about them inching closer towards a step of achieving a lifelong goal. And, you know, it's great for the schools, but, but I think it's their moment in the sun and it's about the kids. But in terms of the, the, the Mississippi State, I think, you know, obviously Coach Mullen did a great job identifying these guys and, you know, had an opportunity to bring them into Mississippi State. And I'm glad we had a part in uh, aiding in their development and getting them ready for the next level. But, uh, you know, I think it's just more than anything a validation that you can achieve all of your goals on the field and in the classroom at Mississippi State and, you know, seeing that whether it's going to be six, seven, eight guys do it. You know, I think that's a, a big uh, you know, feather in our cap because it can be done here. You know, we, we know the numbers are long shots. When, when you talk about high school players that have the opportunity to play in college and then college players that have the opportunity to play in the NFL, uh, the, the odds are stacked against you. How much of developing players and and pointing to examples of guys that have gotten to the NFL that you've been a part of, how, how much does that play into the recruiting process? Yeah, a bunch of the different places I've been going on year 21, you know, whether it was Mississippi State, Penn State, a 1AA school, you know, UConn, you know, you're going to recruit guys that are high five-star guys and continue to work to make them as good as they can be. But I think part of the excitement of being a college coach is getting a guy that may be you know, an under-the-radar two-star or three-star where he's a five coming out of high school, but because you get him in the program and you immerse him in a culture of discipline, accountability, work ethic, attention to detail, you improve his fundamentals and techniques, you improve his productivity, 
and he becomes a nine or a ten on the back end of it. So to me, that that's very rewarding, and I think we've been able to do that at all the places I've been. That's uh, certainly an interesting way to look at it. Let, let, let's circle back to your team if uh, if we can just for uh, uh, just for a moment. Obviously, I, I mentioned quarterback, uh, a spot that probably gets more praise than it deserves, maybe takes a little more blame than it deserves at times as well. But that is the spot that everybody focuses on on the uh, on the roster. So kind of walk me through what you saw from your quarterbacks that you liked and and what you want to see some improvement from between now and the, the start of fall camp. It's funny you say that. The, the, the first sentence on the cover page of my quarterback manual is, uh, I'm playing quarterback, you willingly chose to play the position that's most scrutinized in all, in all of sports, and, and I think that's part of it, that, that you want that pressure. But, you know, I think KT took, you know, some positive steps forward in his development as a passer, obviously an athletic guy who can make plays with his feet, you know, had been right around whatever it was, career 50%, 52%, and we need to continue to work on that accuracy, and I think he did a good job with that. You know, Jalen Maiden in year two in the offense, you know, really the first time outside of last fall camp getting to work with us. He had been mostly with the scout team. You know, saw some positive things from him, and you know Garrett Schrader is is a, is a unique athlete. Uh, you know, a, a a very talented thrower and runner, and I think him coming in early is really going to help with his development. So, uh, positionally as a whole, I think they you know, took steps forward. And for us to be able to do the things we want to do as an offense, we're going to have to improve as a pass team. And I think we took some steps there this spring. Joe, how do you work on on teaching accuracy? Uh, I know that's something that, that you worked some with Nick with. He's about a 50% passer coming into last year, and that's about what he did, give or take, this past season as well. You mentioned that with, with Keaton. So so how do you improve on that? How do you work with them? What do you do to drill to, to improve accuracy and touch? I love to say you just set up a tire on a tree and have them go through there. <laughs> Wait, does that not work? Uh, I mean, it worked for me. But, uh, you know, a lot of it, you know, you want to work on footwork. You want to work on their base. You want to work on, you know, the upper body mechanics, keeping a tight off arm, you know, making sure the elbow's above the shoulder and, and you know, finishing through. And, and all those things that, you know, go along with, you know, the mechanics of throwing the football. But to me, you know, completion percentage is as much on the quarterback as it is on the protection, as it is on the route, as it is on the catch. So, there's a lot of things that go in that. So to me, you know, being fundamentally sound with your mechanics, understanding where the ball goes and why, and then uh, having the ability to, to throw to that spot, I think all those things go into improving. When you say accuracy, improving completion percentage more than anything. Yeah, and you know, we laugh about the the idea of a, a tire on a swing hanging from a tree, but is there something to that? You know, in the way that guys that shoot free throws at an elite level. They've been shooting a million free throws for their entire life? Yeah, they, there's not a tire anymore. They kind of have these little nets that they set up that kind of have three different yeah. holes in them. And, you know, you take yourself through your drops. You know, you move through your footwork of a progression, and you step up in the pocket and, you know, throw the balls in there. But I think in a little bit more uh, advanced setting than the tire, I mean, that that's certainly something that from a uh, – like a golf swing, it, you know, the repetition and the rhythm, you know, I mean, that you feel yourself getting in that flow. That's certainly something, you know, when there's not people around, you can do on your own. Well, interesting stuff. Uh, look forward to uh, visiting with you in the, soon, uh, in the, uh, the near future, Coach. I, I know tonight will be fun, and uh, we'll be uh, here to fall camp before we know it. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Who do you all have the Steelers going to 20? You tell me. You're the Pittsburgh guy.
I don't know. I figured y'all might have might have some inside info. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping we, you know, we, we get a nice one there at 20. And I'm very confident, Coach Tomlin. Excited to see what they get. We've got our Pittsburgh Steelers insider coming up next. I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay, shoot me a text. I love it. Hail State. <laughs> All right. That's Joe Moorhead, head football coach at Mississippi State. Hey, let's stick with the whole Farm Bureau phone line thing. Loaded up this hour with uh, Eric Sorensen from B1 Baseball. Good chat with Joe Moorhead from Mississippi State. And now from A to Z Sports in Nashville, right smack dab in the middle of all the craziness that's going on in downtown Nashville, Zach Bingham. What a scene, Zach. I, I mean, I've, I've had the television on all afternoon, and the crowd in the lower Broadway area, holy cow, it's incredible. I know. I literally just walked into a restaurant and asked for a private room to, to do this interview because it was so loud. I mean, there's so many people downtown and the nfl has infiltrated nashville it's like i've never seen anything like this before obviously this is kind of the first draft that i've attended but the amount of money that the nfl has put into nashville and into broadway and around nissan stadium and the people that have come all over the united states it's pretty incredible is there anything that you've seen in Nashville that compares to this? I know I don't know if it still happens. The the Fourth of July celebration in Nashville used to be huge down on the river. Uh, we've talked to you about what it's like when Predators games are going on during a playoff run, and just the, the sheer number of people that kind of pour out into the streets. Is, is there anything that compares to this? I think the two closest things that I've experienced. I, I born and raised in Nashville, so I've been here uh, for my entire life. CMA Fest, I think that's one of the reasons why the NFL trusted Nashville. Because CMA Fest, where every single summer all the country music artists come here, and, I mean, people come in droves, and they were able to handle that and have been for some time. And then when the Preds made the Stanley Cup three years ago, it's a slow buildup because you got to go series after series after series. And once they made the Stanley Cup, you know, it was the first final that they've been in this city professionally since... Steve McNair, Eddie George, and Frank Wycheck back in 1999 when they were one yard short against the St. Louis Rams. So I would say Predators, Stanley Cup, and CMA Fest. But I mean, you should see. You'll see this on TV. The stage that they put on Broadway. I don't. I don't know how much that thing costs, but uh, it's a lot. All right. So the the stage that Roger Goodell will be announcing picks from, and they've got all the tables. It is literally the entire width of the street, and that's four or five lanes, maybe six lanes across, and you, you can't see anything, is just beyond that the river? I, I'm just trying to kind of like get the layout of, of how everything – I keep seeing these aerial camera shots, and they, they keep turning. So is the river behind the stage? Yes. Yeah, so they built the stage right at the bottom of Broadway, right there on First Avenue. And then okay. they built a tent that probably spans about 500 yards that where media will be in, press conferences will be held, and then the picks and their families will be sitting prior to them walking out on stage. So that's kind of the green room. But they've they've taken over, I mean, essentially. And that's not to mention all of the ESPN and Fox Sports and NFL Network. The NFL Network built a whole stage outside of Tootsie's. And if you're familiar with Nashville, it's the purple building at the end of Broadway. Yeah. They built another building to extend onto the road and put the NFL Network set right there. 
So it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it really is. Uh, this may sound like a crazy question, Zach, and, and this isn't necessarily football related. You you said you're a, a lifelong Nashville resident, and Nashville's been on this crazy growth streak that that's I don't know, maybe going on a decade now, but really in the last five years has just absolutely exploded. But because of the national attention that goes specifically with this event, is this kind of Nashville's hello world moment? You know, uh, sorry, I got distracted. There's people walking around. Say your question one more time. No, I'm, I'm just wondering, and, and, and I'm not trying to downplay any of the growth to this point, but because Nashville's had this crazy growth cycle, because of the national attention on downtown Nashville for this event, is this kind of a hello world moment where Nashville's not country music capital, but it's like major city now? Uh, you know what? I wouldn't. Nashville will always be music city, and there's no matter what you do. Why? Because the NFL came here. If you watched uh, Good Morning Football this morning, there were cowboy hats, cowboy boots, yep. honky tonks everywhere. Every bar is named after a country music star. So I don't know if. You, if this city is ever going to get away from from that. But what it does do, I think the NFL coming here, it's a respect factor of kind of like you talk to where the city has been the last 10 years and where it's going, where it's heading. I mean, you've got international money coming in here, building hotels and apartments and buildings and all that stuff. And, you know, that means something in the growth of the city of where, you know, how Atlanta got the Olympics at one point. They were at, at one point, they were where Nashville was. Now, they, you know, in growth, they've surpassed that a while ago. And then you get into the bigger cities like Dallas and Vegas, and then you've got the top tiers like New York and Los, uh, and, and Los Angeles. But I, I definitely think this is a great reputation builder for Nashville. And for what I, I always say this is it's got a great reputation and it is very likable. People like going to Nashville. Mm-hmm. There's not a bad thing that you can say about it. Maybe the only bad thing is that there's bachelorette parties running around everywhere. You can question to see how bad that really is. <laughs> That's like the uh, the thing that everybody keeps referencing, the bachelorette parties in Nashville. All right, let's talk football for a second. Titans at number 19. What do they need? What do they take? Oof. They need a wide receiver. They need an offensive guard. They need a tight end. They need a pass rush. Those are four main things that they need to fill. Where they're going to go, I mean, it's obviously the million-dollar question. And then, you know, the rumor is swirling around the last 24 hours that we've talked on our show, A to Z Sports, is Drew Locke. Is that the Titans have interest in Drew Locke somehow? You know, I don't understand that because they got Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill on the roster. I think they go offense because if you look at last year, they only had three picks that made the roster. Three. They had Harold Landry out of Boston College, Rashad Evans out of Alabama, and Dane Krupshake out of Arizona, all defensive players. The other guy that they picked was a was Luke Falk, former Washington State quarterback, and he got cut before uh, the 53-man roster was there. So I think they're going to go offense. they got the 27th-ranked offense in the league. And they need to help Marcus Mariota going into a contract year because this is the last year and they owe $20 million. It's a make-or-break year. I think they're going to go wide receiver or offensive guard. So I would look at Garrett Bradbury, the offensive guard, or Hollywood Brown if he's available from Oklahoma because they need that game-changer to, to kind of solidify that their offense is 
holding up with a very good defense that Mike Vrabel has, has kind of coached up. If if Hollywood Brown is available and DK Metcalf is available, if if those are both available there and they choose to go wide receiver, you think Brown's the one they take? I personally do, just because they drafted Corey Davis out of Western Michigan two years ago as mm-hmm. the fifth number overall pick, and he's more like DK Metcalf than he is like Hollywood Brown, and they're trying. I think. They want a Swiss Army knife approach. They got Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis in the backfield, very different backs. They've got Delaney Walker coming back. They signed Adam Humphreys from Tampa Bay in the offseason in free agency. Hollywood Brown gives Marcus Mariota the ability to stretch the field. Corey Davis, possession wide receiver, big physical, and then you got your slot guy and your tight end. So I so I think that's the reason why they would pick Hollywood Brown over DK Metcalf. Look, I went to Ole Miss. Ole Miss alum. I've seen every single catch that A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf has, has caught, Knox and those guys, very talented. But I think for this roster, I think they would go small, speed, breakout wide receiver like Brown. You, you mentioned tight end could be a need, and Dawson Knox has been an interesting name. If he's still on the board fourth or fifth round, late third round, is that an area where the, the Titans might look at a, a hometown guy? Yeah, you know what? Uh, and yeah, he went to Brentwood Academy here in Nashville. I and I actually remember him playing high school football uh, when there. And then he was a quarterback, obviously, at Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he he was a big he was a big time player. He was a big get for Ole Miss when they got him. I mean, that was that was a good good player. And you know, he he was he was very serviceable right after uh, Evan Ingram left to go to the New York Giants once once he declared for the draft. I think it's, you know, we talk about SEC tight end. Sternberger, obviously, from Texas A&M. He's an option that is a similar type tight end to Knox. Knox is a little bigger that that can block. But I'm curious to see where Knox goes. And for the Titans, they lost Luke Stocker, who's a Tennessee graduate. He he signed with uh, the Atlanta Falcons in the offseason. So they're looking for a blocking tight end. So if Knox, maybe in the later rounds, maybe that's when they want to address the tight end position. I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's. I think all things are on the board. I think the two things for the Tennessee Titans: where are they going to get their wide receiver? Where are they going to get their offensive guard? And then where are they going to get their pass rushers? They lost both their starting pass rushers this past season. Derek Morgan contract ran out. They didn't resign him. And then Brian Arakpo, he retired. So they're going to have to replace both of those starting outside linebackers so uh it's I, I can't wait for this draft this is this gets me excited because you have all these teams all these fans and their teams you know their, their roster is about to change the nfl here it is they've done something right in the off season because they, they yeah. get all of their fans interest at, at at peak time and in what is it late april it's pretty crazy zach great stuff man thanks for your time we'll talk to you soon yeah thank you Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. They've got branch locations in Senatobia, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville, which basically means if you are in North Mississippi, then there is a Mississippi Land Bank branch location near you. They specialize in real estate loans, timberland loans, improvement loans, equipment, operating, livestock, irrigation, 
Want to build a home in the country? You can do that. And don't forget auto and personal loans to go along with agribusiness. Mississippi Land Bank does it all. They're fantastic folks. And I, I use that kind of collectively uh, because as a group, as good a group of people uh, that you will find that you want to do business with, MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Welcome to the 5 o'clock hour. NFL draft is less than two hours away from beginning. Uh, the scene from Nashville, if you're watching on ESPN or the NFL Network or wherever else it's being covered, it's just incredible. And and guys, we led the show today with Borky, you and Haydad saying that you are draft guys, that you love it. I don't spend a lot of time like counting down to the start of it, but this scene in Nashville is incredible. This is really, really cool tonight. It's about time yeah. they step out of the comfort zone of some kind of ballroom somewhere. Doing it on Broadway like that brings a, a different well, they spin They haven't done it in a ballroom in a long time. But you know what they I did, mean. They did it outdoors last year in Philly, didn't they? Yeah, in Chicago before that was outside. Yeah. It, Radio City Music Hall in New York is still pretty cool, but this is awesome. It's this is a good here. idea, unlike moving SEC media days. This is a good idea. Why is that a bad idea? Oh, did you not see they're talking about moving it now to, like, Dallas? And no, maybe I saw St. that. Louis? We talked That's, about that last because August. This, is, this can be a fan-friendly event. SEC Media Days is not a fan-friendly event. I mean, at best, you get a few minutes where they're signing autographs. This is You don't want to go to Dallas or Houston or San Antonio? I love to go to those places, but I don't want to go to their work. Let's just go. As long as they drop St. Louis off of that list, you can... I mean, look, blind pick the other ones, I'll and I'd be Dallas. I'll enjoy it, but and I won't be one of these people who complains about going to media days. But I'm just saying, I don't see it as a fan event the way I do the NFL draft. Do you know where next year's NFL draft is going to be? Where? Las Vegas. We really need to get into the covering of the NFL draft business here on Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, but wait a second. I thought Mr. Roger Goodell was very against the legalization of sports gambling. He he thinks it's dangerous for the future of his league. But yet he'll approve. Well, there's a team going to Vegas, though. I know. that I was being sarcastic. Okay. Just saying. You couldn't pick up on that. Yeah, he, he's been outspoken against the legalization of sports gambling, yet he'll approve a team to move to Vegas. Now the draft is going to Vegas, and it's going to... Yeah, he's just saying what he had to say until he had to change his position and say something else. Legalized gambling across the United States is going to be extremely profitable for the National Football League. Absolutely. It's what keeps people watching those miserable Thursday night games. Thursday night games were better this past year. They were better this past year for sure. But if you've got a bad matchup on a, on a marquee game when it's the only thing on... Ratings in the fourth quarter and blowouts are still good because there's money or fantasy points on the line. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, let's get to our college football fix right now. It will have a draft theme to it because it's a bunch of college guys that are headed to the NFL. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Spring sales event going on right now. That means cash back and also great financing offers on uh, vehicles like the Ford Explorer, the Ford Expedition, the F-150, and the all-new Ford Ranger. Have you seen it yet? What a cool truck. Glad to have the return of the Ranger. That was my first new vehicle. Oh, I'll always have a special place in my heart for the Ford Ranger. All right. 
bold predictions. Borky, this is your thing. You want bold predictions, a hot take, whatever, for the NFL draft. So I've got one for you. You yeah. ready? Bring it on. Flaming. Of the 32 first-round draft picks, more of those players will come from the Southeastern Conference than from any other conference. All right, all right. Don't make a mockery of my plan, of, of my idea here. I thought I'd make a prediction that I thought was accurate. Yeah, that's not bold. That's that's lukewarm. That is, it's tepid, milk toast. It's awful. That might be ice cold, even if we're being real. It's the cream of wheat of takes. I got one for you. Jeffrey Simmons is going top fifteen. Ooh, see that's now we're yeah, getting somewhere. Now we're cooking. My take is also about Jeffrey Simmons. Hey, sorry, I've already done that. You're gonna have to come up with another one. No, I, I got a different way of it. Different. Tell different it. View. All right, State has two of the best defensive linemen in, in the NFL right now, in Fletcher Cox and Chris Jones. Jeffrey Simmons will be better than either one of them. Well, I mean, what are we going to do? Wait 17 years to find out all the final numbers on that? Well, Give me something that we can quantify tomorrow. Like, ah, well, we'll just come back in well, a few years and evaluate. Mine you can't qualify tomorrow, but mine's pretty bold. Will Greer will have a better NFL career than every quarterback taken in the first round tonight. Jeez, I appreciate you guys' faith in the longevity of this show. Let's come back in a decade and revisit these bold predictions. I got one. Tell it. Cadell gets booed. <laughs> that that is that is scorching. Less... This is not going. <laughs> not, not I'll be going right. Well. We've only gotten one bold prediction that we can quantify right, wrong, or indifferent tomorrow, and it's for me. Give me something that I can that we will know tomorrow. Yes, you were right. No, you were wrong. Be bold. Give me something, Borky. What do you got? Ooh. Well, I really like mine. I think that's that's exceptionally bold. Um, also, I don't think the Giants will draft a quarterback tonight. There's my other one. Okay, there you go. Giants have got six and seventeen. And if they They've do, been... and you're a Giants fan, just find another team and give up on them. If they pick Daniel Jones tonight, find a different team to root for because they will never be good for the rest of our lifetimes. If that is what they decide tonight, it, th- that would just be embarrassing. Find another team if that happens. Hey, Dad, give me a bold prediction that we can quantify tomorrow. I think that there may be no running backs and no wide receivers taken in the first, I wouldn't say 25, but you may get to like selection 30 before there's a running back. The only one who I think has got a chance is Josh Jacobs. And receivers, we just talked about it. You know, Metcalf looks like he's slipping a little bit. A.J.'s been on the the bottom of the first round, early second round, and, and Hollywood Brown, we'll see. But you could have a skill positionless. There's going to be two tight ends go, but no running backs or receivers. In the first 25 picks? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to be wrong on that. All right. No, I mean, I'm not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not criticizing the prediction. You said the my hot prediction. take was crap. I'm not, I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm with you. I just, I don't know. I think Josh Jacobs is going to be really good in the NFL. I'm still, I still am amazed by Josh Jacobs being the number one back in this draft. Third string at Alabama, no, first back in this draft. Explosive, strong, the ability to catch the ball really out of good. the backfield, and virtually no miles on those tires. 
Rippy, you got He's something good. that we can quantify tomorrow? Dwayne Haskins is the first quarterback taken not named Kyler Murray. At this point, that's bold. Okay. Because Daniel Jones, even though he hasn't thrown a football since the Independence Bowl, is shooting up draft boards in the last week where he hasn't worked out, where he, where he hasn't had an interview, where he's done nothing. Suddenly, everybody wants him. Well, he's tall. He's not even that tall either. What is he, 6'2"? He's 6'4"? Is he 6'4"? Daniel Jones? Ish. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Um... I've had to use that one a lot before. How shocked will what? you be? Shoot, this says 6'5". Six, 6'5", five. Six, five. okay. Well, then I, I'm, I had Will Greer's thing pulled up. Maybe that's what confused me. But, yeah, Daniel Jones has done nothing and has shot up everybody's draft board the last few days. How shocked will you be if Kyler Murray is not number one overall? Blown away, to be honest. Rippy would yeah. be shocked. Yeah, just because of who's the head coach and the entire direction they've gone in the off season. And what well, I mean, the other, I think it's a mistake for the record. The, the, the other, you you think they're better off with either Bosa or Quinnen Williams? I don't know necessarily if I would go that like. They need an guess, offensive lineman. Is I guess really what yes, they need. but I, I just meant like I think they'd be better off having Josh Rosen than five nine Kyler Murray. All right. And don't forget my hot take from a, few, by a couple months ago. Montez Sweat is better than, than Nick Bosa. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you may be right when it's all said and done on that. You, you oh, may be. be right. I feel confident. I just, and Bosa's got an injury problem. We'll see. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. There was news about Montez Sweat earlier today. If you missed it, we'll tell you what that was, what that is, when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, Thursday afternoon. Ole Miss baseball coming up tonight. Game time was originally 6 o'clock, pushed back to 8 o'clock. Still going to rain in the next little while. I just walked outside. It was not raining. So you think they made a bad decision to uh, move the game time back two hours? It could be pouring right now, and I would still think that's a bad decision. <laughs> you, you were all set for a doubleheader tomorrow, weren't you? I was. No, no rain in the forecast. Even the sun's supposed to peek its head out at uh, around 6 o'clock, so pretty good meteorology skills there. Tomorrow on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, Steve will have an interview with Central Arkansas Athletic Director Brad Teague, a Mississippi native. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, Thursdays and Fridays 1 to 2 on most of these Super Talk Mississippi stations and on demand at supertalk.fm. It's also available everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Tomorrow... Sports Talk Mississippi will be live on the Oxford Square for Double Decker, the Double Decker Arts Festival. 3 o'clock until 6 o'clock will be on the stage right next to City Hall on the Oxford Square. It is presented to you by Visit Oxford. Uh, a draft-related story that um, is tied to uh, to Mississippi State, Montez Sweat. Hey, Dad, this is kind of a crazy story, and we, we got some info from it earlier from... Um, uh, John Harris with the Houston Texans, who said he's friends with uh, Montez Sweat's agent. Uh, the the story came out that Montez Sweat, this was post-combine, had a heart condition. 
and that it was going to be okay. And there was some news, uh, I think maybe even a quote from his mom that said it was not a big deal. It was something that he had dealt with. But news coming out today that potentially the diagnosis that he received was inaccurate, this is a big deal for Montez Sweat. Yeah, because he had been dropping down some boards. The first mock I saw today had him all the way down at 14 going to the Atlanta Falcons. And there had been some talk. I saw another one later in the day that had him in the 20s. And, you know, this is a guy coming out of the combine when he just tore everything up. You were seeing him as high as fifth. So, you know, obviously this had concerned some teams. And now you have this come out. And it's just one of those things where I wonder where it went wrong. You know, this is the NFL, multi-billion dollar company. How did this happen? How did this mistake happen? I mean, it, it, this this could have cost if if this report had not come out today. This is something that could have cost him millions of dollars, and it, to yeah. the point where I'm wondering if he still slides. Does he does he have grounds for some sort of lawsuit against these doctors who got this diagnosis wrong? That I don't know the answer to, but I do know that, like you said, it's good news for Sweat. He should move back up at some draft boards, and now I, I would. Say, feel pretty comfortable saying he's going to go in the 8 to 12 range. The story we're looking at came from Yahoo, but it's based on a report from the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport said that teams believe the issue might have been misdiagnosed. According to one expert that Rappaport talked to, Sweat might not have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy as was originally feared. The reasons for the possible misdiagnosis, according to Rappaport, there may have been a mistake in that when the doctors measured the thickness of the wall of Montez Sweat's heart, they may have included the papillary muscles. That would have led to the diagnosis of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is the thickening of the heart wall. Rappaport said the thickness of Sweat's heart wall is actually one and a half centimeters, not two centimeters, which sounds like a really small amount of measurement but i guess when you're talking about an organ like the heart and the responsibilities that it has for circulation and all that goes into the rest of the body that half centimeter makes a difference certainly to medical people makes a difference um i thought what john harris said was interesting in that for for teams that maybe weren't sure or weren't necessarily interested in getting a rush end in the first uh round of the draft it was a reason for them to just, nah, whatever, we'll drop him off the board and move on, no big deal. But for the teams who had an interest in Montez Sweat, they probably did some digging like the Houston Texans did, and it was the, the medical staff in Houston uh, who ultimately came up with the fact that this may have been a, a faulty diagnosis in the first place. So so maybe, maybe sliding on the draft board doesn't have as much to do with the initial diagnosis as it does to teams that weren't necessarily interested in a player like Montez Sweat just kind of moving on anyway. Does that make any yeah. sense? It, what you, that makes a lot of sense, to be totally honest with you. Like you said, a team like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, um, maybe the Jets. They just like, we're not we're not going defensive end with our pick, so just yeah, just take them off the board. That, that, that does make sense. The Rams. The Rams, yeah. And if you're a team that, you know, like you said, they need a defensive end, it would be foolish, when, considering that the NFL doctors, even in their misdiagnosis, said, we don't think it'll be an issue for him. 
He, they allowed him. They cleared him to play at the to, to participate in the combine, the combine, which they did not do the season before with Maurice Hurst, and he slipped all the way, I think, to the fifth round. Uh, they obviously, you know, felt confident in there in that he could play, but it was it was going to be a situation where instead of going sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, he might have ended up going fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. So. We'll see if, you know, I'm interested to see how it plays out now because, like I said, I started the day thinking, okay, maybe 12 for the Packers, 14. I don't think it'll slip past Carolina at 16. And now I'm thinking, well, I mean, I've seen some things that had him at 5th, 6th. You know, that could that possibly be a possibility now? Hmm. Interesting stuff. Um, we'll see where uh, where ultimately he goes. Did you guys see the story last night that uh, came out about Christian Wilkins? And his frugality, which is a really nice way of saying he is cheap. That's good news. You're about to get a couple million dollars. Means you can set yourself up pretty good. Yeah, but it says it's not going to really change the way he he goes about the way that he lives and the way that he saves. Christian Wilkins, according to the report, the the, the story that I read last night, I can't remember if it was from The Athletic or from Bleacher Report or or where it, it came from, apparently saved... Over fifteen thousand dollars while he was in college. Wow! How many people can say that? People Very that few. go to Clemson, play football there. Easy, Borky. We might get into uh, into that <laughs> coming up in just a little bit with some new news that came out of the, uh, the New York trial down today. There, Borky. <laughs> uh, Christian Wilkins is one of four children, said he grew up in a family that didn't have a ton, but they never wanted anything. He had a roof over his head. He always had meals on the table and had, um, you know, good home life. But somewhere along the way, he became extremely frugal and said that he rented a $300 a month apartment while he was in Clemson. But he used his apartment as little as humanly possible. He slept there at night. He rarely turned on the lights. He rarely bathed at his apartment because, well, the football facility had showers. He spent as much time as he could in the football facility. He only wore team-issued gear, and he just didn't spend any money. said he established four separate checking accounts. One of those checking accounts was for food. And he said that was his biggest weakness, and he only allowed himself $150 a month, and when it was gone, he didn't eat out anymore. He just took advantage of being able to eat at the football facility. One of those was for rent. One was for any other potential big purchases like utility bills or airline tickets that he said. And then the fourth was like for expendable income and investments. And so... Instead of just putting all of his money into one checking account and spending whatever he wanted to, he only spent what he allowed himself to in each of those four individual accounts. I thought it was really fascinating to hear a college football player talk about that approach financially. A smart young dude right there. He He also won the academic Heisman this past year. Yeah, not surprised. And it kind of punches holes into the story that was floating around with the UConn basketball player. Was it? Um, oh, who that, was it? I forget his name too. But that—that's the thing, Richard. Is the, these people <clears throat> that use the terminology "college athletics" is modern-day slavery? All you're doing, one, is making yourself look like an idiot, and two, 
you will never get anybody to get on your side about compensation for players when you talk like that because it is just completely false. The, the it, Napier, it wasn't Napier, was it? Shabazz Napier? Is that who it was that that came out and talked about basically being starving while he was at UConn playing basketball? I don't. Know I can't if remember if that's not. he did that's play at the, UConn. So, but it was a UConn player. <clears> yes. Yeah. The idea that Christian Wilkins could save fifteen thousand dollars and use the whole cost of attendance and stipend and Pell grants and everything else to live a fairly comfortable life, graduate in two and a half years, finish a master's degree, propel himself into the first round of the NFL draft, and have money in his pocket before he gets that signing bonus, kind of pokes some holes into the idea of starving college athletes. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.